On today's episode of Not Your Average Boston Sports Podcast, we'll be talking about the Bruins and their recent trip to Lake Tahoe. We'll also talk about uh, some injuries that are creeping up as well for the black and gold, as well as uh, just kind of looking ahead to their next couple games in the rest of the month of February. Some news and notes from around the NHL. We will also definitely get to the Celtics and their continued uh, run of bad play. We'll try to, you know, figure out what exactly is going on um, and, you know, how, how that can change. Also take a look at the NBA All-Star rosters that uh, the rest of the rosters were announced earlier this week. So we'll take a look at the rosters for the game. Uh, we'll some, take a look at some news and notes from around the NBA, including looking at the standings and see where everyone is stacking up right now. We will also get to some NFLs. There was another quarterback trade uh, last week, a day or so after we recorded last week's episode. So I will talk about Carson Wentz's trade to the Eagles. We will also talk about uh, some recent comments Cam Newton made on a podcast hosted by Brandon Marshall. Uh, We will also talk about the Red Sox. We'll take a look at um, spring training is that, you know, is getting underway. Games are getting closer. Uh, we will also get to some mailbag questions. So I've started a mailbag for the podcast. We will get to that as well. Some questions from, uh, uh, uh about a myriad of topics. I uh, will also get to some other kind of miscellaneous stuff, some college basketball, uh, talk about Tiger Woods, um, talk about you know, his recovery. It seems like he is Uh, doing better now after the accident that he had two days ago. Uh, We will also talk about Serena Williams and whether her uh, loss in the Australian Open, whether that will be her last match, so we'll talk about that. Um, But uh, we got a lot on today's episode, so let's get right to it. going on everyone welcome to the program it is episode 77 not your average boston sports podcast i'm your host garrett hayden you can follow us on twitter at not boston you can also follow the facebook page and you can listen to us on apple music and spotify you can also read some of my written content at garrett hayden sports media written a couple articles, a recent one about Isaiah Thomas um, and the trade six years ago that brought him to Boston, how that uh, changed everything for the Celtics. Um, I also want to say that uh, in that intro, I accidentally said Carson and Carson Wentz is getting traded to the Eagles. No, he got traded to the Colts, you know, slipped up there, but uh, we will get to that. Um, got a lot to get to today. Um a lot of news, a lot of news about uh, various Boston sports topics, just sports in general. Um, it seems like there's been a lot of news this week, you know, 
positive, some negative, some, you know, kind of just a lot. So we'll get into it. We'll start with the Bruins. Uh, obviously, Lake Tahoe, the locale for the Bruins, came against the Flyers. Um, actually, their last game, they've gotten some days off as they will be playing tonight um, on the island against the Islanders. Uh, the Bruins have lost uh, both games in regulation to the Islanders this season. Um, but I just want to say that Lake Tahoe just was awesome for the Bruins. Um, you know, obviously the game was great and, you know, they played probably one of their best games of the season, I would say. Um, but I just think that, you know, going down there, it's always a good kind of bonding experience. And, you know, it seemed like the Bruins were able to do that, you know, last year when they played at, um, was it last year? Was it, no, it was the year before, excuse me, uh, when the Bruins played at, um, Notre Dame Stadium with the Blackhawks, you know, I think anytime you have a game like that, you know, it brings the team closer, you know, it's a good bonding experience, you know, it seems like the guys had fun, you know, whether it was dressing up in those crazy outfits before the game or uh, just having fun, you know, and I know that unfortunately, obviously in this media culture that we're in, specifically in this city, uh, some people don't like it when teams have fun. So, you know, obviously you have that to answer for, you know, that's all I'm going to say about that, but they had fun, you know, and, you know, some certain people in Boston media don't like fun. So, you know, obviously there's going to be some stuff about that, but it was just a great trip. You know, I think that obviously NHL as a whole, you know, ran into some issues uh, with the sunshine in the first game um, leading to the Bruins game being postponed or not postponed, but moved to a later time. So they ended up playing at 7.30 Eastern time, 4.30 local time, which actually ended up being perfect because, you know, the sun is on its way setting and provided some really, really cool uh, photographs, you know, with the sun going down and the sky setting, you know, behind the mountains. It was so just picturesque, you know, really was amazing. Um, I was glad that, you know, the NHL was able to get the, uh, Avalanche and Golden Knights game finished. You know, I know that there was a lot, you know, being said on Twitter about, oh, you know, they didn't account for this and that. And, you know, I think the NHL has been very lucky, you know, with some of these games that they've, you know, not really encountered the level of, I don't want to say level of sunshine, so I sound like an idiot, but like, it really was the first time that an outdoor game really has, you know, not gone very well. It was like you could tell that the ice was very poor, you know, at the end of that first period of, again, uh, with Colorado and Vegas. But, you know, it seemed like they got it all under control. You know, the setup was great. You know, on the golf course, you know, perfect pictures, just unbelievable. And I think just having an outdoor game really in nature just was so much different than having it in a baseball or a football stadium because it really gave you that sense of you're in that great outdoors, you know, and I really hope that the NHL goes to that, that they start doing more games like that. Um, it actually leads into our first uh, mailbag question of the day from uh, my good friend, Nick Peranick writes for, or excuse me, uh, works in the Suffolk University Athletic Department, uh, hosts a podcast with um, some athletes and people in the sports department there. Um, so he asked a question about, um, is the NHL going to be looking into more of these games? 
as he put it, uh, boutique style. Now, I'm not exactly sure what that means, but I think I can gather that, you know, it means that, you know, are they going to do more games in these types of settings? And I would hope so. You know, I think that it's one of those things that really gives you a true sense of like an outdoor game of lacing them up and, you know, skating on a frozen pond. So I think, you know, now then, you know, the question becomes what other locations could they utilize uh, to really have it be much better of, or not much better, but like kind of a different, a different outdoor setting, you know, than just a baseball park or a football stadium. So, you know, I think racking my brain during the time I was watching the games, you know, I think that it would be cool, you know, could they set up rinks uh, along the Great Lakes, something like that, you know, set it up um, along, Lake, you know, next to Lake Erie in in Ohio, have Columbus play Detroit or something, you know, put... Um, now, I'm not great with the Great Lakes and geography, but, you know, I don't know, do you put a rink somewhere in, you know, Michigan or like Wisconsin and do you have, you know, the Wild play against, you know, Colorado or something like that? Um, then, you know, crazy thought I had, Central Park's pretty big in New York City. I mean, could they set up a rink in Central Park, have the Rangers and Islanders play or you know, Buffalo and the Rangers, Buffalo and the Islanders. Um, I know Buffalo and the Rangers played um, in a game at, I think it was at, wasn't it? I think, no, it was at, it was at Shea Stadium in New York. I, or, uh, excuse me, City Field. Wow, I, I can't believe I said that. Eric's going to be, re- Eric Belly is going to be really mad that I just did that. <laughs> um, but I think locations like that would be so cool. And so to answer Nick's question, I would hope that the NHL is moving to that direction because just the visuals were awesome at Lake Tahoe. Um, so I think just thinking about what other locations could they do? I mean, really going out, of, going out on a limb here, maybe build a, a, a rink at like a ski resort in New Hampshire or Vermont, have the Bruins play the Canadians, you know, or something like that. Um, I think that would be really wild. Um, but I think that, you know, the NHL really should consider, you know, doing this. And Nick also mentioned to me that, um, you know, highest rated uh, broadcast, I think, in NBCSN history that got over a million people to tune into the Bruins-Flyers game at Lake Tahoe. So, you know, I think that there should, there definitely is a market for, you know, games like this that you could put at really picturesque locations. Um, Obviously, maybe there are some ideas that are better than others, you know. Central Park probably wouldn't be the most, you know, picturesque, but I think that that would be really cool if they got a game uh, there. You know, I think that, you know, other locations that come to mind, you know, Great Lakes kind of areas, that would be really cool. You know, could they put something in Canada? Um, Could they do something near like Vancouver or something, you know, have the Canucks play the Flames or something like that? Um, I think that, well, you know, I know that they already do, you know, the Heritage Classic, but maybe they, you know, move to another location where it's like really kind of out in nature because I think that that really was really, really neat to see. So uh, don't want to spend too much time talking about that, but um, the Bruins were great. You know, it was just a great experience. Pasternak was awesome. He was the best player on the ice. Uh, Bruins got a lot of offense from, you know, 
places that haven't produced yet this season, but it was good to see, you know, good to see Charlie Coyle getting a goal. You know, I think he really needs to get going. Um, good to see Trent Frederick getting his first goal. You know, that was a great sight. Um, so I think, you know, game-wise, the Bruins dominated, you know, rightfully so. I think that, you know, Philadelphia obviously was missing a bunch of key guys uh, thanks to COVID. I think Claude Giroux literally just came back last night. So uh, Philadelphia was without Giroux, Konechny, uh, Scott Lawton, I want to say Voracek, I think, maybe maybe Farabee also. Um, but the Bruins, you know, played a pretty shorthanded Philadelphia team. So um, wasn't surprised that they won, but it was good to see so many different guys playing well. Um, so obviously the Bruins uh, got hit with the injury bug. You know, it's kind of snowballing as Grizzlick has missed a decent amount of time. Uh, Zaboral and Miller didn't play in Lake Tahoe. David Krejci didn't play. Um, and then Jeremy Lausanne uh, broke his hand in Lake Tahoe. So he will be out for at least four weeks. He'll be reevaluated in four weeks. So the Bruins really shorthanded in terms of defense right now. Um, it seems like Jakob Zaboral will be able to return and play tonight uh, for the Bruins in Long Island. So at least that's a positive. Um, it sounds like Kevin Miller, you know, based on the practice on Tuesday, sounded, made it seem like he was going to play, but it sounds like he had a setback yesterday, so he won't be able to go. Um, so I think, you know, you're really going to see the Bruins tested. Um, you know, your Hovakanainen played with Charlie McAvoy for a little bit um, on Sunday. It seems like that's what they're going to be doing. That's what they're going to go with for the top pair tonight. Um, so that will be interesting. I thought Vakanainen honestly wasn't too bad. You know, got an assist, first assist of his career. Uh, looked pretty comfortable, but obviously he's played he's played less than 10 games in the NHL. So um, be interesting to see. You know, I think that the Bruins ultimately are hoping for big things from him. It's a first-round pick. Uh, their last first-round pick, or actually, was it their last first-round pick? I think it may have been their last first-round pick um, in 2018 was the... I forget what number overall he was, but, you know, it doesn't matter. Um, but I think, you know, it, it's going to be interesting to see what he brings. You know, I think, obviously, you'll see some growing pains. But, you know, as we, we've seen with Zaboral and, and Lausanne, like, they've been pretty good. They, they've been pretty good to start the year. So, um it will be interesting to see. It seems like uh, Zaboral will play with Brandon Carlo tonight, and then John Moore will play with Connor Clifton. I thought Moore was pretty solid. Um, you know, again, he's a guy that isn't probably going to play a lot, but the Bruins are going to rely on him when he needs to play. Um, so I think that it'd be interesting to see. You know, he's a guy that can fill in a little bit on the power play, got a couple points. Um, assisted on Nick Ritchie's power, I think it was a power play goal um, on Sunday. So, you know, I think that obviously that pairing is going to be a little concerning, uh, especially defensively. And I think with a team like the Islanders, you know, they're going to come at you with waves and waves. The Bruins have had their issues with the Islanders this season. They've lost both games to them in regulation. Bruins have only lost three games in regulation. Two of them are to the Islanders. So, um, they they will be challenged tonight. 
But I think that the Bruins with Carlo and McAvoy, McAvoy playing at, you know, Norris Trophy level of play, you know, I think that he definitely playing the way that he's playing. And if he continues that, he very well could win the Norris Trophy um, by the end of the season. You know, he's playing. It's just like, it's one of those guys who's running out of adjectives to say he's just awesome. Um, it just is so good to see, you know, he's putting up points. Yeah, he's got two goals, but it's fine. You know, he's 13 points. Not sure where that ranks in terms of defensemen, but it's probably up there. Um, but I think that, you know, with my concern with the team more is, you know, what they can do offensively and what can they consistently get from guys like Charlie Coyle and Craig Smith and Jake DeBrusque. Because, you know, those are the guys that you need to expect the secondary scoring from. You know, I feel like you've gotten it from Nick Ritchie. I know that most of his point production has been on the power play, but, you know, he's been a guy that's been pretty solid. I think he's been proving some people wrong. Um, I will just say, and I don't want anyone to take this the wrong way, but I do feel like there's a little too much of, oh, you know, I really miss Heinen, you know, and it just is like, it's not that it's disrespectful to Nick Ritchie. It's fine. You know, I understand that people really liked Heinen, and I did too. You know, he was a a fantastic player, I think, in, in all, in, you know, kind of a, a really good five-on-five player um, and really made the right decisions, was really solid with the little things, but, you know, just kind of ran into some scoring slumps. Um, and I think ultimately that's why he got traded. But I don't know. It just seems like the rhetoric is a little bit like, oh, you know, I miss Danton Heinen, you know, I don't care about what Nick Ritchie's doing. And it's like, you know, Ritchie's been pretty solid. He's been one of their best forwards this season, you know, outside of the top line. But, you know, he's the third most, fourth most points in the team, you know, outside of that, or has the most points on the team outside of the top line. And I don't know. I just feel like he should be getting more respect from some people. And I'll admit, I didn't expect much from him this season. I thought that he was bad in the playoffs last year. I really thought that he didn't provide any type of value, but he's been proving people wrong. He's proven me wrong. You know, and I'll gladly admit that he's, you know, outperformed what I've expe- what I would have expected from from him at this point in the season. But I don't know. It just is a little strange that instead of talking about how solid Nick Ritchie's been, people are stuck on talking about how they miss Heinen. And it's like, I don't know what to tell you. He's not on the team. You have someone on the team right now who's producing. And has more points than Heinen, I hate to tell you that, but, you know, and I know that it's all in the power play, but it's like, at least he's producing, you know, at least he's not, you know, on the third line taking away ice time from someone and has, and has like two points. He's got 13 points. He's on pace for 66. I think, I think it was, if he, if, if, if this was a full season pace, he would be on, he would be on pace for 66 points which is pretty good. I mean, anything over 60 is pretty good. Um, So, you know, we'll see. But I think that he kind of deserves a little more respect from some people than he's getting. Um, But I think the Bruins with injuries, you know, they always are able to, you know, persevere. You know, that's been the great thing about having the veteran core that you've had with this team that, yeah, you know, injuries happen, bad play happens. But they always pick it back up. They always do. So, you know, I think that the Krejci injury is kind of interesting that it's kind of given you a, a look into what 
the Bruins' future very well might look like. You know, if David Krejci doesn't come back as he's an unrestricted free agent, you know, could you see Jack Studnika centering that third line, Charlie Coyle centering the second line? That's probably what's going to happen. You know, I think the wingers might change. You know, I'm not sure about, you know, Kasha's future with the team. I'm not necessarily sure about Bjork's future or even DeBrusque's for that matter. Um, but I think that those two guys, the centers, that's probably what you're going to see. You know, unless the Bruins decide to bring Krejci back, which I don't think it would be that crazy. You know, obviously he wouldn't come back and make $7.25 million, but you could feasibly bring him back for two years at like four and a half or two years at five. Um, because I think to me, it's still clear that David can play at a high level. Um, you know, but obviously the Bruins are trying to go into the youth direction and, you know, David's 35 or going to be 35. So, you know, do you, do you make that decision to move on? And I think that they might because, you know, they're going to have about like 30, 30 or $31 million in cap space. Yeah, they do have some guys to sign, like Carlo's going to be up. Sean Corrales is going to be up. They're probably not going to be on the books for too much. But then you have the goalies that are also on the books, and you got to think about that. So um, I think that there are pros and cons to bringing Krejci back, but I guess we'll see. You know, I think that we'll see where the Bruins are at the end of the season. You know, where did they finish? Are they a team that made it to the Cup? Did they win the Cup? You know, or did they kind of fizzle out like they did last season? Um, so I think that that's going to have a lot to do with what they decide to do with Krejci. Um, but I think at this point, there are pros and cons to bringing him back and not. Um, but it will be interesting to see how Stednika does with DeBrusque and Coyle, or DeBrusque and uh, Bjork on that third line. It seemed like they played all right um, in Lake Tahoe. Stednika had a great assist on Pasternak's third goal. Uh, his hat trick goal. So, you know, we'll see what happens with that. You know, I think that I want to see a little bit more from Craig Smith. I want to see him put, in the, put some, some more pucks in the net at five on five. He's putting shots on goal, which is exactly what he's here to do. But I would like to see him scoring some goals. And I think hopefully Coyle can get going after that goal um, that he scored on Sunday. So Bruins and Islanders tonight at seven. Um, obviously with some of the injuries and some of the thoughts about, you know, that this could be kind of an off-season of movement with, you know, Krejci and Rask both up. You know, it leads you to think about where would the Bruins be in terms of trades for this trade deadline. Maybe it's not so much that. Um, but I think that, you know, given the injuries and, you know, given that you've not been great at 5-on-5, five five, like I think they've been improving like ever so slightly, but I think that it's never too early, you know, to start thinking about the deadline and thinking about some trades that could help the team. Um, Matthias Eckholm's name has been floated around. Uh, the Nashville defenseman, you know, it seems like Nashville's kind of just been, you know, teetering this season. They've not really been, you know, good. They've not exactly been bad either. And so there's a, they're a team that very well could be selling off some guys. Um, and Eckholm is a guy that I think would fit well with the Bruins. And I know that some people would say, oh, why would you bring in a guy who's 30 years old? But, you know, his contract's not that bad. And I think that the Bruins are a team that, you know, going into the playoffs, you need as many healthy bodies on defense as you can possibly get. 
And the Bruins kind of need some guys who are, you know, experienced playoff players. Um, and I think that Ekholm isn't just like an old guy. Like, he still is a very good player. You know, he's a guy who can play on the power play, can put up some points at five on five. You know, it's not like, it's not like he's 35 and, you know, past his prime and would be taking away ice time from someone. Like, okay, technically maybe he would. But it's like he's a player that could be really good for the Bruins in the playoffs. That if they beef up, you know, in terms of getting some more talent on that back line, they could be really hard to beat. That being said, though, I think that the way that the young D have responded to this season has been great. You know, it's exceeded my expectations that they look a lot more comfortable than I ever would have thought. So that leads me to believe that maybe you're, you would be better off looking at, you know, addressing your five-on-five scoring and taking a look and looking at trading for someone like uh, Philip Forsberg from Nashville. You know, I think that, in my opinion, if the Bruins are looking at trading for either one of those guys, I'd rather look at a guy like Forsberg because I think the Bruins, you know, need to be as dynamic as they can on the offensive side. And I think that, you got someone like Forsberg to play with Krejci, like, uh, that that's pretty scary. I'd rather the Bruins make a big trade for him, you know, kind of, I don't want to say get Kasha out of here, but it's just like, you know, the time that he's been on the ice, he's not really produced very much. Um, and I know that, you know, he's had a really difficult, really difficult time ever since being traded to the Bruins, but... Um, I think that if a player like that comes available and you could make a trade and really kind of go for it, you know, I think that that would make sense. I also think that, you know, you got a number of pretty solid trade chips. You know, I don't mean to rail on Jake DeBrusque as I usually always do, but, you know, DeBrusque is a guy that absolutely you could get a decent return for. You know, obviously the if, if he's going to be traded and is going to be kind of a someone that you would deal, you'd like for him to score a little bit. But um, I think that he's a guy that you could include in a trade and he, he could yield something pretty significant, you know, that you could improve your team and really give yourself a good chance uh, to go deep in the playoffs. So just kind of my early thoughts about that. I think that if the Bruins are going to be making trades, it's not going to be now. You know, I think that Kind of want to see how they respond in the next few weeks. I think the deadline is not until April, so you know there's some time. Um, so looking around the rest of the NHL, um, you take a look at some you know happenings, some news and notes. Uh, Claude Julian was fired yesterday as head coach of the Canadians. A little bit of a surprise for me. Um, the Canadians, you know, had a really good start to the season. Looked like they were going to uh, run away with that North Division. You know, obviously, we probably should have thought better than to declare them. You know, they'll run away with it in the first week. But um, lost six of their last eight. You know, it, I don't know. Just kind of a, a strange move for me because I felt like, you know, yes, that yes, they've not been playing great. But it didn't seem like it was bad enough that they would fire him. So... Um, that kind of was a little surprising. That was yesterday morning. Uh, just some other notes, some games last night. Uh, Zach Parise got his 800th point in the Wilds' win over the Avalanche. Matt Zuccarillo also tallied point number 400, so some milestones there. 
Uh, so Claude Giroux returned for the Flyers last night at three assists. Flyers beat the Rangers four to three. And then the LA Kings, the surprising LA Kings, uh, won their sixth straight game last night. I believe that they are now in a playoff spot uh, as we take a look at the standings. So uh, the Kings really seemed like a team that they were just going to kind of be at the bottom of the league, that they are, you know, in in the process of a rebuilding stage with a lot, a lot of young players, you know, still have quick Kopitar, Dustin Brown, Jeff Carter from some of those Stanley Cup teams. Um, but they're playing some good hockey. You know, they're a plus seven goal differential, you know, six straight wins, six, three, and one in their last 10. And they're just two points out of first place in the Western Conference. Obviously, Vegas has had some games that they are, they have two games in hand on the Kings. Vegas is in first place, but uh, really good stuff to see from the Kings. Uh, Minnesota has won, I think, four straight since coming back from uh, their COVID pause, their plus 10 goal differential. Uh, just one point out of, out of a playoff spot in the West. Uh, Colorado, you know, has fallen on some hard times. They've not been playing super well, 6-3-1 in their last 10, but they've lost two straight, and they are two points out of a playoff spot. So Vegas still atop the West with 23 points. The Bruins still atop the East with 24 points, two ahead of Washington. Philadelphia, Pittsburgh, and the Islanders uh, tied or the Islanders in Pittsburgh tied for that last spot. The Rangers are still looking up, as are the Devils, to the rest of the division. Um, in the Central, you have Florida, who's been playing really well recently. They have 26 points, just one point ahead of Tampa Bay. Carolina's also in there, and Chicago's had a pretty good uh, run of play recently. Seven wins in their last ten, and they are in a playoff spot. Columbus is three points back. And then you have a team like Dallas, you know, who will be playing a lot of games in the coming weeks as they are, you know, eight points out of a playoff berth, but they have six games in hand. You know, they started the season uh, a week late or a week and a half late than some other teams. So, or the rest of the NHL. So, you know, they will be a team to watch. They've not been playing great, you know, six, four and four in their first 14 games, but you know, they're a team that can get hot pretty quickly. And then in the North, Toronto is really uh, asserting themselves as the best team in the North. You know, I know that there are some people that are not taking too much stock um, in the North division because, you know, Toronto probably is the best team in that division, but I think some teams in that division have been very up and down, like Vancouver and Calgary kind of don't know what to expect from them. Um, Edmonton's been playing well of late. You know, 8-2 and two in their last 10, they've won four straight. But to me, they're extremely streaky. Um, and Winnipeg, I think, can be too. So, you know, I think Toronto's been playing very well. And, you know, they do have the most points in the league. Um, you know, I know that it, it's difficult to kind of determine whether a team, you know, truly is the best team in the league because they've just been playing teams in their division. And, you know, if you look at the North... It's not really been a great division recently, as Toronto really is kind of the only team that's been playing at a really solid level, you know, the whole the whole season. You know, Edmonton has had its moments. Vancouver is, or uh, Montreal has had its mo- moments, but, you know, out now, obviously, they're struggling a little bit. Um, Canadians still in a playoff spot, which, you know, also is what kind of 
confuse me about the Julian firing, but, you know, whatever. I think that it's, you know, always something that you can look at to try to get get the team going and light a fire. You know, that's kind of what happened with Bruce Cassidy when he was brought in, that Claude Julian was fired at a time that, you know, the Bruins weren't playing very well, but people were kind of surprised, you know, and kind of didn't really understand what they were doing and they were putting a lot of faith in Bruce Cassidy. And, you know, <laughs> at this point, you know, four years later, it kind of has paid off. You know, the Bruins have gone through some unbelievable regular seasons. They've gone to a Stanley Cup final. They've won a President's Trophy. You know, it's it's looking pretty good. It's looking like they really made uh, a great decision there. So that probably is it for our NHL. Um, Nick Peranick, my good friend, also had asked another question, um, not a Bruins question, um, but what will the NHL do after their uh, NBC deal is up? So I actually looked this up earlier because I thought this as well. Um, it's not the NBC deal that's up, but it's NBCSN that will be closing or that will be, you know, shuttering or wh- whatever the term is, um, but that they, they will be closing, I think, at the end of the year or, or at some point, I think, Um and so Nick's question was, you know, what are, what is the NHL going to do in terms of, you know, broadcast rights? So they're still going to have broadcast rights with NBC. It's just now that NBCSN is closing. Um, it seems like their programming will move to the USA network. You know, so USA has had some, uh, has broadcasted some Stanley Cup playoff games. Um, I think like in the first round when there are multiple games you know, on a given night that maybe there are four or five games and they broadcast the game. So um, it seems like USA Network will be getting, you know, the, the the stuff that normally would be on NBCSN. So it's not an overhaul of, you know, oh, the NHL needs a new sponsorship um, or, 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 or broadcast deal. Um, it's just NBCSN is closing. So I uh, appreciate the question from Nick. So uh, we'll move on to the NBA and... Yeah, I kind of am dreading to talk about this uh, all, you know, all week. Because it's it's hard to talk about. You know, the, the Celtics are, you know, <laughs> really in a bad way right now. Um, really playing at a level that you know, we, we've not seen this team this bad since Brad Stevens' first year. And I know that that's saying, you know, that team won 25 games, you know. So maybe I shouldn't say that it's that bad, that it's like, oh, the team is so bad. But, you know, 15 and 17 is not great. You know, you're almost halfway through the season. And, you know, at this point, you know, you should be... You should have a identity at this point. And I think that, you know, usually you think about the Celtics team in years past that their identity is a hardworking defensive team. You know, a hardworking defensive team, a team that's going to be tough to play against every night. And a team that's going to bring it. And a team that 
is going to play hard. And a team that, you know, I think had that kind of us-against-the-world mentality that, you know, no one really trusts us. No one thinks that we're going to be this good, but we're going to go out and we're going to compete. And so I think the problem, part of the problem is right now, I think that the expectations for this team were too high for them, you know? And not to say that, oh, you know, the expectations were the were the mistake. I think the mistake is players kind of listening to those expectations and thinking, oh, here are all these people that are expecting our team to be great, you know? And so the complacency kind of comes in a little bit that, oh, everyone thinks we're going to be great. So, you know, why do we even need to play hard? You know, why do we need to try as hard if everyone already thinks that we're going to be good? And, you know, I know realizing saying this out loud sounds really stupid and that if you're a professional athlete, you really shouldn't be allowing that stuff to creep into your head. But, hey, being a professional athlete is a lot harder than, than we think it is. It's a lot harder than I think it probably is, than any of us as fans, as, you know, podcasters or, or media, even like higher, high up media, you know, being a professional athlete's not easy. Um, but I think that you are noticing that this Celtics team just isn't playing with the effort that it should be playing with. And, you know, I've said this, I feel like a broken record. You know, I don't have a problem if the Celtics are losing games here and there and they go on a losing streak and you know maybe have a game or two every so often where they just don't show up and don't play well you know you're not going to be able to play with high energy and amazing energy every single game it's just not feasible but the fact that this is a trend in like maybe the last 10 games or so is 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 scary um, you know, it really seems like, I don't know, you know, it really seems like ever since that loss to the Lakers, um, at the end of January, the Celtics have just not been able to do anything consistently. You know, they've won some games, they've won, you know, some games that would surprise you against teams that would surprise you. Um, you know, getting that win with the Clippers, or getting that win against the Clippers, you know, beating the Raptors a couple weeks ago when they looked great, you know, they came home after a tough road trip and got a great win, but then came back the next night and laid an egg against the Pistons and then were terrible against the Wizards, but then came back, beat the Nuggets, lost to the Hawks, got some revenge, and then, you know, blow a, blow a huge lead in New Orleans and lose the game. So, you know, nothing, nothing has been... Nothing has been consistent winning-wise. The Celtics have been inconsistent for the better part of about a month. And, you know, it, it's getting to a point where the where it's trending is an area, is trending towards an area that I don't think any of us really want this team to get to. Um, and I know that a lot of people are out here thinking that, you know, you need to light a fire under this team, that you should... You know, I don't know, you know, all the social media GMs or whatever. Oh, get get Brad out of here. You know, fire him. You know, get, fire Danny Ainge. And it's like, if you, if you really want to do that, if you really want to have that conversation, you know, and the Celtics actually go through on something like that, they're going to be directionless. You know, they're going to be a team absolutely without direction. And 
this isn't to say that there's no blame that should go on Danny and Brad. There absolutely should be, you know, but it's like it should should tell you that Wick Grosbeck went on Felger and Maz yesterday and expressed full confidence in the guys. So they're not going anywhere. I'm not really going to entertain any more of that, but they definitely deserve some blame. You know, Danny Ainge, I don't think, has put together as as good of a roster as it should be. You know, yes, there are some vet guys that they brought in in Jeff Teague and Tristan Thompson, but, you know, Teague has not shown the ability to be an NBA player this season. You know, it's like, what the heck happened? Um, you know, Thompson's been fine recently. You know, it took him a little bit to get going, um, but it seems like he's been solid. You know, he's a guy that competes every night. But in my opinion, the Celtics have too many young bench guys that sit on the bench and don't do anything. And for you to be a a team that aspires to be a championship-level team, you need some veterans, and you need some veterans that have been around the block. You need some veterans that are older guys that have won championships, that have been in this league for a very long time, you know, you need that type of leadership because it's obvious right now that the Celtics kind of are too young that, and I hate to say this because Jalen and Jason have been great to watch, you know, the better part of a couple years, you know, and the fact that they've performed and done very well with this team, but they need to be leaders right now. And it's very obvious to me that they they can't do it right now, you know, and it pains me to say it because I love the both of them, but you, you are clearly seeing that you have a team that's too young right now and a team that doesn't have a good group of veterans to light a fire under the guys that, you know, look, we got to be better, you know, and I know that it's so easy just to say these things and, you know, oh, bring in a veteran that's just going to come in and you know, yell and be like, hey, you know, we got to be better at this. But it's like Jalen and Jason and this young team, they've not experienced this level of losing. And it just, it concerns me that are they actually going to be able to get out of this? You know, I think that I will tell you that, yes, they probably will. They probably will start playing better at some point. I just don't know when it will be. But you know, what if it doesn't? And what if it doesn't? And that is something that scares me because if this continues, you know, I don't care what Wick Rousebeck says on a radio show. Like, they continue to play this way and they continue to lose games against teams that are bad, you know, and they continue to not bring effort and not bring it consistently. I, I have a hard time believing that Brad Stevens could keep his job at the end of the year, you know, if, if it continues like this. And the Celtics, you know, trudge into the playoffs as a six or seven seed and get blown out in the first round by Milwaukee or the Nets. You know, I have a hard time believing that Brad Stevens could keep his job. And he deserves some blame, but I think the players deserve some blame too. Like, I think that Jalen and Jason need to be leaders and they need to be willing to play together as a team because... You know, when the Celtics aren't playing well, the assist numbers are down. You know, when they're losing games, when they, you know, have 10 or fewer assists, you know, their record is something like 2-9. and nine. And so, like, that tells you that when the Celtics, you know, play together and get open shots for each other and, you know, pass up good shots for better shots, that they are a good team. That when they have more than 
a certain number of assists, they're, you know, like nine and one or something. And it's like, you know, obviously it's right there. If you guys play as a team and play together, you know, you will win games. And if you bring defensive effort and that's the first thing that you bring, everything else will work itself out. But it's just not, none of that is happening right now. And it just, there, there, there's blame to go around, but I think it just becomes kind of an endless cycle of the blame game that, oh, it's Danny by building a terrible roster. Oh, it's Brad by not getting his guys motivated. But it's like, I think everyone needs to share the blame right now. Um, and Jalen and Jason need to take a look in the mirror and, you know, really think about where this team is going. And they really need to kind of face the music, but... It doesn't mean that we have to, you know, bring them down be like, oh, you know, they're they're terrible and, you know, they're bad leaders and this and that because I think that they're capable. This team is capable, you know, and I don't know. Is it Marcus Smart? Probably a little bit of it is. Um, but I think, like, you need to bring effort on the defensive end. You need to play with an edge, you know. When there were stretches last night that they played with an edge, especially in the second half, but then it just stopped, you know? So I think that, no, the Celtics really don't have the best group of players, but, you know, what they have now and what some of the guys are showing has been a little positive. You know, Aaron Neesmith, with the minutes that he's playing, he's consistently good for two or three hustle plays a game, you know, and he's been knocking down some shots. I know he played a lot in garbage time last night, but I think that, you know, you're seeing him kind of come into his own a little bit, which is great, you know, but I just think that, no, a a big trade with a traded player exception, that's not going to change anything. Marcus Smart just coming back, you know, is that going to change anything? Firing the coach, that's not going to change anything. But I will tell you that if, you know, this is happening and the players are tuning out the coach, that's a terrifying and scary road that none of us, I don't think any of us want to go down. You know, I know that we all want to be like, oh, you know, fire Brad, but, you know, you tell me who the Celtics are going to bring in. You tell me who's going to coach the team. You know, you give me a better coach, you know, that's good, that you're going to be able to pull off the street and be able to coach the Celtics. And let me ask you this question. If the Celtics really did go the route and fire Brad Stevens and they brought in a coach off the street— what the hell happens if they tune out that coach? You know, you tell me that. You know, I know that it's, you want to just be able to be like, oh, you know, get someone out of here, but you need to have a plan. You can't just get rid of someone just because they're not doing their job as well as they well as well as they should be. But it's like, you need to have a plan if you're going to do something that drastic. If you really want to trade Kemba Walker, you have to have a plan. You know, you can't just come in saying, oh, these guys are trash, trade them. Because it's like if other teams think that the players aren't very good, why the hell would they trade for them? You know, it's like complaining about something but then not having a reasonable a, a reasonable plan to solve it. You know, and that that's what makes me think that this Celtics team, it's inside. It's in that locker room. It's, you know, it's within themselves. And they need to find it. You know, and I think that they can because obviously they started the season really well. Obviously, you know, they weren't playing with Kemba, but they started the season well. You know, they won eight of their first 11. So, 
they can find it. And I think that they will, but I just, I don't know when that's going to be. So uh, Celtics play the Pacers. They have a four-game homestand before the All-Star break comes. Um, So Pacers tomorrow night, uh, the Wizards on Sunday. They will play the Clippers next Tuesday and then the Raptors next Thursday. And then the All-Star break comes uh, two weeks from um, two weeks from this Sunday. So, you know, it will be interesting. I'm not expecting that uh, Marcus Smart's going to be back in the next four games. It was good to see him on this on this road trip. You know, good to see him on the bench with the guys. So, um, you know, it'll be interesting to see um, what ends up happening with the Celtics in the last four games. Um, but, yeah, it was tough to watch last night, you know. I think that it was partially the Celtics doing that they didn't play with enough energy. You know, Jalen and Jason missed a lot of shots. I mean, the Celtics couldn't make a three-pointer to save their lives. And the Hawks pretty much made everything. Danilo Gallinari hit 10 threes last night. I mean, and and I know that, you know, I don't want to say, oh, the Celtics lost because the Hawks just went crazy. I mean, it's part of the reason why, but... You know, a guy hits 10 threes, that doesn't happen every game. So, um, but, you know, a lot of those looks were open, were open looks. And the Celtics need to do a better job at closing guys out. Um, And the Celtics have had eight straight games in which someone has scored 30 points against them. So, uh, yeah, that's got to change. So as we look into um, the next thing I wanted to talk about with the NBA is with the uh, all-star team. Um, Jalen and Jason making the all-star team. Jalen Brown, first nod for him. Jason making his second straight um, all-star appearance. So good for them. Um, That's really all I'm going to say. You know, I think that they need to be better. They need to be better leaders. They need to be better players because that's where it starts. You know, if they start playing better and they start trusting their teammates and getting those assist numbers up, things, things will change drastically. Um, but I think looking at the rest of the all-star rosters, um, you know, I think every year you're going to have guys who are snubbed, unfortunately, because, you know, the all-star team only has so many, so many guys selected. Um, and unfortunately there are going to be some guys that get left off, you know, whether people agree or not. Um, so I think that the starters, if we're looking at just the starters, um, in the Eastern conference, Really no surprises. Um, Kevin Durant, you know, in the Eastern Conference, playing at a really high level um, for most of this season. He's in. Giannis is in. Uh, Joel Embiid, Kyrie Irving, Bradley Beal. Uh, Bradley Beal missed the team uh, last season, but has been playing. He's probably been the, one of the best players in the league this season. Um, so those are the East starters. Out West, you got LeBron, you got Steph, you got Kawhi Leonard, and then uh, Luka Doncic and Jokic making the all-star team as starters. Um, in the East, the reserves, obviously, Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, uh, Ben Simmons, Julius Randle making it for the first time, which was great to see. He's had a great season. Um, James Harden also on there, Zach Levine, and then Nikola Vucevic. Uh, some people were a little annoyed that Trey Young didn't make the team. Uh, DeMontis Sabonis, I thought, probably should have made it. Um, instead of Vucevic, but, you know, I think that, and 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 I don't know, you know, if this is Brian Scalabrini talking as kind of a, a biased person, but I don't think it was. You know, he is saying that 
You know, Trey Young doesn't necessarily compete super well on the defensive end, and some coaches, you know, notice that and, you know, could be why maybe he's not on the team. Um, but again, here here's the thing with the All-Star thing and complaining about snubs. I get that people, you know, it's 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 very popular on social media to just share stuff that you don't agree with. Um, but I also just think, like, when, when, when you start, you know, saying, oh, you know, this guy should have made it. Oh, how on earth did this guy not make it? You know, it's like, well, if, if you're going to make that statement, you need to say, oh, well, they should be in place of this guy. You can't just sit there and complain and be like, oh, you know, this guy should get in. Well, you know, let us know, genius. Like, who, who would that person go in for? You know, it's just, it's weird to me. You know, you had so many people complaining about Devin Booker, and we all knew he was going to get on the team, you know, even after he wasn't selected, because Anthony Davis, you know, has an injury, and he's going to be out for a bit. So it's like, we kind of all knew he was going to make the team, so it just seemed weird that people were complaining about it. And it's fair. You know, I think that personally, the all-star rosters should be a little bit larger, you know, I don't think there's any reason why a roster can't be 15 guys because that's what it is with the with NBA rosters. I know that, you know, 15 is a lot of guys to get into a game, but I just feel like that would kind of solve some of the issues of, you know, guys getting snubbed. Um, you know, I have my own personal opinions, but like I'm not going to go out there and complain and, you know, make a scene be like, oh, DeMant, DeMonte Savona should have made it. You know, personally, I think he should have made it over Vucevic, but you know, it's going to be what it's going to be. Um, um, it was interesting that Zach Levine got selected, but I think it makes sense. You know, average he's averaged almost 30 a game, five assists, five rebounds. You know, he's been Chicago's best player. You know, I think he deserves it. I know some people might think he doesn't, but, you know, it's going to be what it's going to be in the West. Um, Anthony Davis obviously selected. He will not play. Devin Booker will take his place. Uh, Paul George, Rudy Gobert, Damian Lillard. Uh, Donovan Mitchell, Chris Paul, and Zion Williamson make an all-star team uh, for the first time. You know, I think that, yeah, he's been one of the best players in the league. You know, he can score at a really high level as a solid rebounder. But, like, I don't know. You know, part part of me thinks that he's only getting selected, you know, because he's Zion and because, you know, he's, like, the number one. Like, I don't know. I just feel like you put those numbers with any other basketball player, you know, are they are they getting in? Are they, are they would they be selected? You know, if you literally just put a blank slate and put those numbers next and did one of those things where oh, you know, player A versus player B, you know, you put in the numbers, like would you would you select him, you know, not knowing that it's Zion, not knowing, you know, that he's number 1 pick and all that. I don't know. You know, I think that's something to think about. You know, He's deserving, definitely, but I think, like, I don't know. I feel like the numbers that he has aren't that outstanding. Like, obviously, he's scoring over 25 a game, but, you know, he averages seven rebounds and three assists. Like, I don't know. Is that really, you know, all-star level numbers? I don't know. So um, that's all I'm going to say about the all-star rosters. I don't really want to spend too much time on that. The NBA announced the second half of their schedule yesterday um as it's probably going to get pretty crazy uh because you have a number of teams that have had games postponed um and they're going to have to cram a lot of games into kind of a small 
uh, period of time. It won't shock me if there are some teams that aren't able to get in all 72 games. Um, and so, you know, things will get interesting with the, uh, like, play-in things, uh, just some notable games. Clippers and the Lakers will play on April 4th. Uh, Lakers and Brooklyn, April 10th. Celtics will play Steph Curry and the Warriors on April 17th. Nets and Milwaukee on May 2nd. Um, so, yeah, there's going to be a lot of games in the second half. Uh, it's going to be pretty crazy. So before we move on, I'll take a look at the NBA standings, what's going on around the rest of the league. In the East, you have Philadelphia still in first place, but the Nets are closing fast. They have won seven straight games, and they are just half a game out of first place. So things are improving very quickly for the Nets as they have kind of figured things out. Uh, Still not a very good defensive team. You know, they're allowing 117 points per game. Uh, That's a lot. That might actually be most in the league or like second or third or fourth most in the league. So, you know, they can score a lot, but uh, they're giving up a lot of points too. The Bucks in third place. at 19 and 13. And then you have the teams that are all separated by a game. So Indiana is in fourth, fourth place at 15 and 15, you know, actually technically by some tiebreakers, the Celtics are currently out of the playoff structure right now. Um, But it's crazy. You have Indiana and the Knicks. So fourth place through 10th place in the Eastern conference is separated by one game. So there are a lot of crazy tiebreakers in here. Um, So Toronto, Chicago, Charlotte, and Miami are in playoff spots right now. Um, Then the Celtics and the Knicks are on the outside looking in. Uh, So yeah, you know, things are, you know, getting kind of not great for the Celtics if you look at where they are in the standings. But obviously a lot can change. Um, but, you know, three-game losing streak. Hopefully the Celtics can win a couple games, get some momentum before the um, All-Star break. In the West, Utah continues to uh, play just some great basketball. Blew out the Lakers last night. Utah's 26-6, and uh, best record in the league by far. You know, they're three and a half games ahead of the Clippers, four and a half ahead of the Lakers. Um but they've been playing some awesome basketball. Uh, Mike Conley, Donovan Mitchell, Rudy Gobert, Bogdanovich, you know, they've been playing at a high level all season. And I know continuing people are like not believing that they're this good or like thinking that they are, you know, not as good as their record says. Like, no, they're they're a very good team, you know, and playing in the playoffs, I'd love to see him go against the Lakers. I think that it would be a great series. But yeah, people aren't taking them as seriously as they should, which is kind of shocking to me Um, because the obviously Lakers playing without Anthony Davis. So, you know, it's a little bit of take it with a grain of salt, but the Lakers have lost four straight games. Um, You know, they're no longer the team where it's like, Oh, it's them. You know, the team to beat. obviously if you have LeBron James, it's kind of a luxury that, you know, you can kind of afford to not necessarily be the number one team, but you know, Utah is playing really well. You got the Clippers that are playing well. Um, you got a a tougher Western Conference this year, I think, um, than you did last year. And then you also have some teams like Denver. Um, 
and like Dallas that are lurking, you know, at kind of the outside looking in or kind of one of those lower seeds that, you know, if the Lakers slip into one of those matchups against Denver or against Dallas, like it could, it could create some issues for them. You know, not, not going to say that they're going to lose, but like they might have to work a little harder than they normally would in the first round. Um, if they went up against a team like Denver, especially if Denver, you know, gets their, you know, what together, you know, and, you know, Jokic is playing at an unbelievable level. Maybe Murray kind of ups his play a little bit. You know, they're a tough out. They came, came back from two, three, one deficits in the playoffs last year. So, uh, they're not a team to be taken lightly. Utah isn't either. I don't know. I kind of feel like it's amazing that we're sitting here talking about them again, as people just are not taking them seriously. You know, it just, I don't know, it blows my mind. And I know that, yes, every year it seems like in the NBA, there's a team that's just blowing, you know, just blowing teams out of the water with a good record. And then come playoff time, you know, they fold. Kind of like how Milwaukee has done the last couple of seasons. Um, But... I don't know. I think Utah's for real. I really do think that they are. And, you know, for real to me doesn't necessarily mean, oh, you know, they need to get to the finals like they need to beat the Lakers. They very well could get to the Western Conference Finals and play the Lakers to a six or seven game series. You know, they're they're a good team. You know, they have the best record in the league for a reason. You know, so, I don't know. Just, I don't know. I, I I don't know. It's just like too many people that are like NBA fans just like don't take teams seriously that they just are like, oh, you have a good record. You know, so what? See what happens in the playoffs. And, you know, it's not totally false, but like, I don't know. Utah's 26 and six. I mean, is that is that not good? Like, I don't know. It's weird. Um, So I think we'll move on to uh, some NFL. There's some notes here. Uh, not a whole lot of stuff, um, you know, NFL-wise. Uh, it seems like J.J. Watt has narrowed down his list of, um, or he's gotten a bunch of offers, so maybe he's narrowed down his list about where he would like to go. Um, I think that I've been hearing about Marcus Mariota, that there's not really much of a trade market for him. Um, so he obviously was with the Raiders this past season, did, did appear in a game or two, or actually I think did appear in a couple games down the stretch after, uh, Derek Carr got hurt. Um, but it is interesting to me that the trade market is kind of not there for him. So, you know, would Oakland release him? Um, obviously his name has been linked to the Patriots a little bit. Um, and I think we've talked about him, but I don't know. It's just like. He's a guy that I think his skill set, you know, translates right now. I think in kind of a Lamar Jackson type mold, you know, that's a guy that, you know, is a run first guy, can, you know, has a decent arm. I just worry about his accuracy and I just worry about whether, you know, he can be a starting caliber quarterback. You know, I just have concerns that I don't think he's that good. You know, there's some conversations about Trubisky for the Patriots, and I'm just like, I I don't know where that's coming from. 
you know, I don't know why people think that that is a good idea. He's not very good. And he's he had, you know, some decent games this year, you know, but like, I don't know. He's not someone that I would want to have starting on my team. He's not someone that I would feel comfortable with, you know, necessarily. So, you know, I think just wanted to touch on those two things before we got to the Carson Wentz trade. Uh, this happened, I think, a day after we recorded last week. Um, so Carson Wentz going to the Colts for a couple of draft picks. So, um, you know, the Eagles obviously going to eat a lot of dead salary cap uh, with the trade. The Colts, you know, getting Wentz to reunite with Frank Reich, which, you know, I think I think is a, is a good idea for them because I think that obviously the Colts needed a quarterback and, you know, he's probably one of the better players you could get in in the trade market, I just don't know. It's just like he was really bad in 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 Philly last year. And, you know, maybe it's a lot to do with the fact that, you know, Reich wasn't there and maybe he'll do better with the Colts because he does have a lot of better weapons uh, with the Colts, I'll tell you that much. You know, I think that the weapons are better. I think that the system he probably will know and will probably do well with. You know, it seemed like he and Doug Peterson kind of had a little bit of a falling out, you know, towards the end of their Eagles tenure together. Um, I don't know. You know, I think he's one of those guys that either it's going to be bad and it's going to be a disaster and he'll play exactly like he played in Philly and won't be able to rediscover the, the close to MVP level that he's been able to play at for a, some of his career, you know, or it ends up being great. You know, he responds really well to, you know, playing under Frank Reich and, you know, responds well to the more weapons that he has. And the Colts are a team that end up being a dangerous team, you know, in the AFC. I think that that's a possibility. Um, You know, I don't know. I just like, he's a guy that, I don't know. I, I wouldn't have liked for the Patriots. I just think that, Again, the Patriots are a team where if they were going to make a trade for a quarterback like that, you like you, they, you need to have some reason for the quarterback to want to come there. And I just feel like if a quarterback looks at what the Patriots did this past year with the group of wide receivers that they had, you know, it's like, well, I don't know. what Why, why would that player want to come here? Um, so I don't know. I don't really have an issue with the Patriots not trading for Wentz. Because I just think, I don't know, I, I don't really think he's that good, you know, in my honest opinion. Um, I think that just was not very good last year. And, you know, the, the Patriots offense and the Eagles offense, you know, were kind of similar, that they kind of didn't really have any tremendous players, you know, to surround the quarterback with. So, you know, I don't really have an issue with it, with the Patriots not trading for him. Um, but I think the Colts, you know, get a solid quarterback and get someone that, you know, if he plays the way that he's capable of, you know, Colts could get to the AFC Championship. They could be a problem for a team like the Chiefs um, or the Bills or, you know, whoever is is the is the good team, uh, the top team um, in the AFC next season. It probably will be the Chiefs, but I guess you never know. Um, there's also been some recent reports about Russell Wilson, which, you know, I got an update a little while ago that... Um, you know, he maybe isn't too happy in Seattle. I don't think the Patriots can get him. Um, I think that he and Deshaun Watson are going to be, 
beyond beyond what the Patriots can, you know, offer. You know, and I think that those are two guys that the Patriots would be mortgaging their entire future for these guys. And, you know, rightfully so, because they're, you know, two of the best quarterbacks in the league. But, you know, then again, you have other spots on your roster that need improvement. I feel like I'm going crazy saying this, but it's like, you can't just... Jeez, listen to me. You can't just replace the quarterback and just expect everything to change. I'm sorry, you put Tom Brady on this Patriots team, they don't do anything. They probably make the playoffs, but they're not going to advance. They're not going to do much past that. They probably wouldn't have gotten to the AFC Championship. They certainly wouldn't have gotten to the Super Bowl. Um, if you put Tom Brady with this offense that you had this past year, the Patriots aren't doing anything. And I don't care if you put Russell Wilson or Deshaun Watson on this team. They're not just going to magically make the team better. I'm sorry. Like, I feel like I'm going crazy saying that. But it's like the Patriots have other areas that they need to improve on. You know, quarterback is a very important position, but you need to surround that quarterback with, you know, good offensive players. And I just feel like the Patriots aren't necessarily in a great spot, but it's like just getting a big-time quarterback is not going to solve all your problems. And by the way, trading for one of those quarterbacks like Wilson or Deshaun Watson is going to cost you like crazy. So you probably won't be able to build around them as much as you would like to. So I, I don't, I think a trade for Russell Wilson or Deshaun Watson is out of the question you know, it doesn't make me feel better about some of the con- comments that, you know, John Lynch is confident in Jimmy Garoppolo as the 49ers starting quarterback. Um, doesn't make me believe that, you know, he, he would be going anywhere. Um, so, you know, I think that there are a lot of different names that are going to be thrown out there. You know, I mentioned Trubisky. I mentioned Mariota. Don't rule out Cam Newton coming back. I know that a lot of people don't want to see that. Um, but, you know, he did say in that interview with Brandon Marshall that he would definitely be interested in coming back, you know, if the Patriots were interested um, and talked about how difficult it was to play, you know, after having COVID, you know, and I think that, yes, he had some issues with it. But, you know, I think we also have to realize that Cam had a lot of bad games towards the end of the season. And, you know, I don't know, it, it, it's hard. It's hard for me to trust him. Um, because I just, he performed so poorly last year, you know, and I don't know if getting better players around him, is that really going to solve it? So, um, you know, I don't know, you know, Ryan Fitzpatrick is another name that's out there. You know, I guess he'd be a good idea, but he turns the ball over too much. And, you know, here's the other thing with what the Patriots, you know, might be doing in the off season that, if they just decide to go young, whether they go with Jared, Stid- Jared Stidham or they get someone in the draft, maybe Mac Jones or maybe someone in the middle rounds. Um, but, you know, that's the route that they go. People are going to have to be patient because young quarterbacks make mistakes. You know, I just think that you want to talk about drafting, you know, a Trey Lance or a Mac Jones or whoever, they're probably going to make a lot of mistakes. And, I think there are some people that are fans of this team that, you know, are tired of not making the playoffs for one season. 
And it's like, oh, you know, we need to get back in the playoffs. We need to, you know, be a great team right away. And it's like, that's probably not going to happen. I think you need to be realistic, especially if they're going to have a young quarterback. Because that quarterback is going to make mistakes. There are probably going to be some growing pains. You know, if you put Jared Stidham in the starting role, you surround him with some better talent, you know, do they possibly make the playoffs? Who knows? But I think, like, you have to be patient, and you have to realize that this is not the Tom Brady Patriots. You're not going to be going to the AFC Championship every year. You're not going to be going to the Super Bowl every year. And I feel like I feel like I need to nail that into some, people, some people's heads, that it's like going to the playoffs, you know, is something that, you know, is normal for us. But it's like, you know, I don't know, God forbid you don't go to the playoffs for two years. You know, no one, no one is, no one is feeling, no one, no one, no one's going to feel bad for you. You know, there are NFL franchises that, you know, don't go to the playoffs with any regularity. And we're complaining about not being in the playoffs for one year. You know, it's just, I don't know. It's, it's the, so spoiled as Patriot fans that we just literally cannot fathom what it's like to go through a losing season. People literally acting like they're going crazy. When the team went seven and nine, and it's like, oh horror, oh the horror that the Patriots don't go to the playoffs. Like, holy cow! It's, I mean, it's professional sports. You know, it's it's not going to be the same thing year after year. You know, like you have to change at some point. It's just, I don't know. It's just, it's insane to me that some people still have this thought that oh, you need to go back to the playoffs you know, right away. And maybe they will, you know, I think that they probably will. You know, I think that even though we don't know what the quarterback situation is going to look like, I still think that they could make the playoffs next year. Um, But it's just like the idea that they have to or else, oh, you know, Bill sucks. Bill's a terrible coach, you know, and just, I don't know, it just, maybe I'm, maybe I'm going off on a tangent, but it just frustrates me because I feel like that is probably what's going to end up happening. You know, that Jared Stidham's going to probably be the starter, you know, or they bring in a young kid and they're going to have to, you know, develop the, the kid as he plays, you know, and people are going to have to be patient. You know, I think that I have this weird feeling that this offseason might come down to what it came down to last offseason is would you bring in Cam Newton again? Or would you rather bring give the keys to Jared Stidham? And I don't know, guys. I think that there's a good possibility that could happen, you know, and that's what we could be stuck with. And people are going to have to be patient with whatever they do. Because um, I don't think I, I, like, it doesn't make me feel good about Garoppolo, you know, moving. They're not going to get Russell Wilson and they're not going to get Deshaun Watson. So you can just stop thinking about that. Um you know, I don't know. Does a young quarterback like Justin Fields fall to the Patriots at 15? You know, if he does, I think definitely you draft him. You know, if he's taken, if Zach Wilson, Trey Lance are all taken, um, I don't think you should draft Mac Jones at 15. I don't think you should. Um, I think that if he's the guy that's left at 15, you should just look at addressing other positions. And I will also say that, you know, the draft is a month and a half after free agency. So there's a possibility the Patriots could have a quarterback situation figured out by then. Um, 
So, you know, that that will be interesting um, to see what happens. But I think areas of need for the Patriots, I think, for me at least, it's it's tight end, it's wide receiver, um, not necessarily in the draft or in free agency. Like, I think both you could look into. Um, I think also the front seven is definitely a spot that you need to look at. Uh, defense, or, or d- defensive line, I should say. Um, as if you're looking for run stopping or pass rush um, and linebacker. So I think of the four positions, wide receiver, tight end, offensive line, linebacker, I think are the most important for me right now. I think quarterback is a need too, but, you know, I think that there are more pressing needs on your roster right now. Um, so I think we'll move to uh, some baseball. Spring training is opened up. Uh, Red Sox will play their first spring training game on Sunday. I believe it's against Tampa Bay. Um, so it'll be be an interesting it, it'll be an interesting spring training for the Red Sox. Uh, they will open with Minnesota um, on Sunday at one o'clock. Don't believe that that game's televised. I do believe that their their game on Tuesday against Tampa Bay is on ESPN, so you can tune into that. Be curious to see you know what what things you know turn out turn out. Um, I also had written an article late last week about some guys to watch in spring training. Unfortunately, Franchi Cordero has gone on the COVID list, so obviously that's not a great start for him. Um, But I think definitely pay attention to him. Um, Rafael Devers, um, Nathan Evaldi, Adam Ottavino, and Bobby Dahlbeck were uh, the other players that um, I had talked about in the article, too. So you can go check that out um, at Garrett Hayden Sports Media. I tweeted out the, the link on Twitter and Facebook so you can find that. Um, and then, you know, uh, around the rest of the league, I think Jose Abreu had tested positive for the White Sox. So he will remain away from spring training. Uh, last week, you know, Chris Sale had talked to the media and sounded like he had he had had covid um in january i think he'd said um but you know he said he's you know feeling good and you know could be ready to join the red sox at some point in july um you know i think that that's that's good news to hear um i think that the red sox could be in a position where getting him back in july you know might give them a boost you know depending on where they are in the standings you know what the starting rotation can do but i will say that I think they're going to surprise some people this year. You know, I think that they are going to be a team that will challenge for a playoff spot at some point. Um, actually brings us to uh, a mailbag question from my good friend, Evan Greasing. He asked, uh, what would you say is the floor and the ceiling for the Red Sox team? Um, as a great question, Evan, that's something that I've actually, um, I feel like I've mentioned that once or twice uh, in the last few weeks, but um, I think a floor, you know, what that looks like is probably, you know, Red Sox won 24 out of 60 games last year. I don't know what that would um, extrapolate out to to be, or what number of wins that would be in a 162-game schedule. Um, but I think the floor, uh, you know, probably is a win total in the high 60s or low 70s. Um, and that, I think, is if everything if a lot of things go wrong, you know, if the starting rotation struggles, they hit a rash of injuries, um, and just there's no effectiveness with the starting pitching, you know, and then the bullpen is taxed, 
I think. Also, if, you know, the the, pit, the hitting goes dry. Uh, believe it or not, the Red Sox were one of the better offensive teams in baseball last year. Um, but I think that a lot of things have to go wrong. The starting pitching, you know, is ineffective. They hit injuries. You know, Chris Sale isn't able to return in July. Probably, maybe doesn't return until late in the month, maybe even in August. The offense, you know, has trouble scoring runs. Um, I think that's the floor. I think the floor is them winning like 68 to 72 games. I think that's the worst case scenario. Best case scenario, this team wins 90 or 91 games and makes the playoffs. Um, I think that that is best case scenario. You know, I think if they make the playoffs, I don't know what I predict as to how far they could get, but I think best case scenario, they win 90 or 92 games. The starting pitching, you know, Garrett Richards pitches really well and stays healthy. Ivaldi stays healthy for the most part. Rodriguez can return to his, you know, almost all-star form. The offense picks up where it left off. J.D. Martinez has a great bounce back year. You know, Devers continues to improve. Um, the Red Sox get great contributions from the little free agent signings that they had. Kike Hernandez, Marwin Gonzalez, you know, those guys perform well. You know, they find an everyday first baseman. You know, Dahlbeck keeps the strikeouts down. Um, and the bullpen, you know, is not overworked and not overtaxed. Um, they can they keep Adovino for the whole season. They make a, a, a nice, a good move at that trade deadline. And they make the playoffs. You know, I think that that's probably what a ceiling could look like for this team. Um, it really, I think, could go a bunch of different ways. But I think that they will surprise some people. I think that that's my thought, that they will surprise some people, that they will be a lot better than people expect. They'll be a lot better than, I think, us Red Sox fans expect them to be. Um, so I think that's the ceiling. The floor, obviously, is kind of a scary proposition, but... You know, yeah, I think it, it's possible. So um, I think that's probably good for baseball. I'll close out with some other thoughts, some college basketball and some other thoughts from around the sports world. Um, so Eric Bellier, good friend, contributor, or uh, occasional contributor of the podcast. We've had him on a few times. Um, so Eric sent me a question yesterday, um, and this was uh, interesting. I did not expect this type of question from Eric. Uh, so he asked, and I'm assuming that he is referring to uh, the men's tournament, but he is asking me, who's the team you see coming out of nowhere in the NCAA tournament? So, uh, Eric, I will do you one better. I will give you a men's team and a women's team that I think will be uh, kind of a surprise team. So the men's, it's hard for me to pinpoint exactly one team, but you know what? I'll do it. I will say Kansas. I think that Kansas is a team that, you know, you've had you've had a weird year this year with a lot of blue bloods not doing particularly well. You know, Kentucky I don't think is making the tournament. You know, Duke is going to be down to the wire about whether they make it. Um, and Kansas, you know, is 17th in the country right now. Um, and they've spent some time outside of the top 25. Um, I think that they're a very well-coached team. they got a lot of talent. Um, and they're a team that could surprise some people. You know, and I know that it kind of sounds like a cop-out that, like, okay, I'm mentioning, you know, a team that always does well in the tournament. Um, but I think some people are, are sleeping on them. Um, 
Wisconsin, I think, is another team that is extremely well coached. They always seem to do well in the tournament. They always seem to be a thorn in the side for some of the, you know, big time teams, you know, so they gave some issues to Michigan a few weeks ago. Um, You know, could they be a team that beats a Baylor or a Gonzaga, you know, in the Sweet 16? You know, they did it to Villanova in the second round a couple years ago um, that I think those two teams very well coached. I think two teams that you could see go into the Elite Eight. I really wouldn't be surprised. Um, Loyola Chicago, they had obviously a great run a couple years ago. You know, they're a team I think that they could go deep. I know that typically when you think about a surprise team, you think about a mid-major team. So a team not from, you know, the group of five, you know, power power five conferences or whatever you want to say. That typically when you think about a surprise team, you think about a team that's a mid-major um, so I think, you know, for the women, I'm probably going to say a similar thing. I think Kentucky, you know, usually they're a team that, you know, does very well. They've kind of been, you know, here and there kind of in the bottom half of the top 25, but they're a team I think could make a difference, um, in the women's game. You know, the women's game, I think a lot more is more of just kind of a a Blue Bloods tournament that the teams that always do well typically do well. Um, You know, South Carolina, UConn, Stanford, those teams are going to have a lot to say by the time the the season ends. Um, South Carolina, I think, is a team that I would keep my eye on to win. You know, I think, again, with the women's game, you kind of know three, four, five teams that really have a logistic um, a logistical, that's not the right way to use it. I have like a real shot to win. Um, so I think that, yeah, you could see a surprise team. Um, but I think for the men, I think to make my decision, I think I'd say Wisconsin, um, between the teams that I mentioned, I think Wisconsin is going to be the team that, uh, surprises, but Hey, March is great. March Madness is fun. Um, and it's definitely going to be a really fun tournament, uh, for both the men and the women this season. Um, so just some other little thoughts, um, U.S. Women's National Team with uh, winning the She Believes Cup. I think it's the sixth year that they have done that tournament. They won uh, over Argentina six to nothing. I think that they've won fifty-seven of their last fifty-eight games on home soil. I think it's fifty-three in a row. So, you know, the women's soccer, the women's national team continues just to roll roll over people. I wish the men's team could be that good, but. You know, uh, not sure when that's going to be, but uh, good, good stuff for the women's national team. Um, it's twenty. I'm not sure when the next World Cup would be. Um, I think that it would be 2023. Yeah, that sounds right. Um, and then obviously two days ago, we learned that Tiger Woods was in a, a near fatal car accident, uh, totally accidental, uh, according to the. Um, police chief i think in los angeles or like whatever the um area was where the where the where the um accident was so um obviously prayers to tiger and his family it seems like he has you know pulled through and you know obviously has some major injuries um that i think unfortunately are probably going to prevent him from playing golf ever again but you know i think that 
the conversation about this should be way more about him as a person and less about what this means for golf. And I know that, you know, Tiger means everything to the world of golf. But I think that, you know, when something like that happens, we kind of need to come at it from kind of like a human angle instead of thinking about, oh, what does this mean for, you know, him being able to compete? What does this mean for, you know, it's like, I don't know, stop for a second and think about that, you know, he's a human being and is in a terrible car accident and, you know, is probably lucky to be alive. Um, That, I don't know, it just seems like we as a society were so quick to like jump into the next thing before we like actually sit back and be like, damn, he was in a car accident and almost died. Um, And I don't know, it just... It seems like it's it's way too easy to make light of something like that or, you know, start thinking about like what it means sports wise, you know, instead of, you know, it's like, I don't know, for example, you know, when Gordon Hayward got hurt, you know, less thinking about, oh, how are the Celtics going to, you know, find, you know, scoring or whatever. And instead of that, thinking about, you know, hoping that, that he's okay and he pulls through. Um, so, you know, that, that's all I'm going to say about that, but obviously good to see that he's recovering. You know, honestly, I think that some of us could care less about whether he ever plays golf again, and just that it's important that he can recover from this and, you know, be, be a dad to his kids and, you know, not think so much about what this means for, you know, the game of golf, like, oh, can he ever play again? You know, it just, it's, it's, it's scary when something like that happens. And I just wish that, you know, some people would come at it at more of kind of a a human sense, instead of thinking about kind of what it means for kind of like, like a sport way of thinking about it. Um, Also in this world of sports, um, Naomi Osaka won the Australian Open beating Serena Williams and you know there's some questions about whether Serena might be might be thinking about retiring um and I'll just say either way you know watching her you know dominate you know tennis for so many years is such a joy you know it's such a joy to watch her compete you know it's like watching you know all-time greats it's like going back and watching you know old footage of of, of Michael, of Michael Jordan, you know, going back and watching old footage of, of Wayne Gretzky, you know, probably what it's going to feel like in, in, in 30 years to go back and, you know, watch stuff of Tom Brady. Um, you know, she is just such a beast and it's just so much fun to watch. Um, just her work ethic and how she just like leaves it all on the court. Um, and it's something that, you know, I think, really like sports can inspire you in a way that, you know, someone can, you know, just be just so dominant and you kind of look at that and be like, wow, like I'm so happy that I, you know, follow sports as much as I do. Like I'm happy that I follow sports as much as I do. I think, you know, granted I don't follow all sports as much as I do some, you know, I think I, I tend to follow, you know, the NHL and the Bruins Um, and the Patriots and the Celtics, you know, a lot more than I would tennis or the revolution even, you know, I love the revs, but I don't love them as much as, you know, some other teams or some other sports. Um, But I think just important to recognize that, 
she is one of the all-time greats. And, you know, not just female tennis, but tennis in general. And not just female athlete, but athlete in general. You know, it was her husband that had that shirt that said, you know, greatest female athlete and females crossed out. And it just says greatest athlete. And, um, you know, if, if, if that's it for Serena, you know, I wish her the best in whatever she does the rest of her life. Um, but if she does decide to come back, good for her. And I'll be pumped to watch her the next time there's a, there's a tennis tournament coming on. So um, that probably does it for, for this week's episode for Not Your Average Boston Sports Podcast. Uh, you can, you know, send any questions you want to the mailbag. You can DM them uh, to me or the Not Boston account, as I love to, love to hear from, from anyone. Great. Big thank you to my friends who sent in some questions for this week. Um, so you can do that. Uh, you can also follow the podcast on, on Not Boston. You can follow uh, the Facebook page. You can listen to us on Spotify and on iTunes. And you can read my written content if, if, if you'd like to do that at uh, Garrett Hayden Sports Media. You can you know drop a comment on those articles or you can you know send me a comment via DM or whatever. Um, but yeah, you know, we will we'll talk to you next week. And everyone, uh, go out and enjoy some of this uh, maybe early preview, some spring weather. So uh, good stuff. We'll talk to you next week.